So if you're able to stand, please stand with us. We're going to read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. It'll be on the screen for you, but also Rowan's going to read it for us. And um, I'll hand the mic off to Rowan. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this word and wondered what kind of greeting may this be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be conceived and have and give birth to a son in order to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High, the Lord David, and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. However, this will however will this be, Mary? Asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will call the Son of God. Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was said to a common a commons in her six months, for no word for God will ever fail. I'm, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled, and the angel left her. Thank you, Ryan. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may all have a seat. Christmas. It's Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. Um, wow, I just I just want to say thank you all again so much. Um, man, there's been multiple times this week. It was, it's been an overwhelming week. It's been a lot, you know, getting here, moving in, but man, we've had so much help through all of it. Just countless people. Like, I can't thank every one of you right now, but and people coming over, helping us uh, unload uh, all of our stuff from the pods into the parsonage, um, just going to kids' night, just seeing all the work that goes into that. And just It's been such an encouraging week, and I just wanted to say there's been so many times this week where I thought, man, I've only been here for a week, but man, I love my church. I love my church. I love our church. Man, what a gift to be able to say that. People say, I love, I love my church. I love going here. I love worshiping the Lord with you. I love being with you. So what a gift. And I just wanted to acknowledge that before we go any further, how grateful we are for your welcome, your hospitality. What a big move this has been for us from Texas to Virginia. But what a gift. What a gift. And I truly believe that the Lord has brought us here for a reason. So... I'm excited to see what he has in store. It's going to be fun. 
Well, Rowan, thank you so much for reading our passage this morning. Uh, what a gift to have you read our passage. Um, when I was probably about your age, Rowan, um, I, I spent a lot of time in front of the TV. I really loved my fair, sh- fair share of TV. And there was a show that I loved to watch. It was called um, Adventures in the Book of Virtue. I don't know if any of y'all watched that. I might have butchered the name. It was Adventures of the Book of Virtue. Whatever, I don't know. But I do remember there was one episode that's always stuck with me, like even to this day. So in that, in that show, um, one of the stories that they talked about was a little boy named Peter. And Peter was in school, and Peter could not wait to leave school. Um, Peter was so impatient. Peter always struggled uh, with living in the present, living in the moment. And uh, one day, a witch approached him, and she had this uh, ball of thread, this magical thread. And she said, well, you don't have to wait for anything. Just pull this thread, and it'll take you to whatever moment you want to go to in the future. So that sounded great to Peter. I don't have to wait anymore. So the next day at school, the teacher asked Peter a question. He didn't know the answer. It was super uncomfortable. But he pulled the string, and it was time for summer vacation. Now, Peter also wanted to, um, he wanted to date this girl named Lisa, I think was her name. And so Peter pulled the string so that he could be, uh, was, how do I say it? He could be Lisa's boyfriend. And he pulled the string, and all of a sudden they were boyfriend and girlfriend, and she was going off to school for two years. So he pulled the string for that to be over, and they were getting married. But he wanted to have kids, so he pulled the string, and they had kids. But the kids, the baby was loud. So he pulled the string, and they were older, but they were interrupting his work, interrupting everything he did. He pulled the string, and they were older. He would go to work, he didn't like it, he would pull the string, and he would be home. And then before he knew it, his kids were leaving, and his last kid had left to go to school, and he realized, wow, I I kind of actually miss my kids. I miss those interruptions. But he kept pulling the string, pulling the string, pulling the string, until one day, he was at his wife's grave. And he realized, wow, I missed it. I missed it. I missed life. I spent all my, all my life trying to get to the next thing. And here I am at the end, and I never really truly lived in the present. Now, why do I tell you that story? Because even though we don't talk about it very much, most of life is waiting, Right? Like almost all of life is us waiting for the next thing. Life is full of waiting. We wait to grow up. We wait for a spouse. We wait for a child. We wait for people we love to know and experience the love of Jesus. We wait for work to be over. We wait for school to be over. We we wait for traffic to clear up. Paige Paige knows about that. (laughs) We wait for the weekend. We wait for our favorite team to play. We wait for certain movies to come out. We wait for bad weather to pass. We all know about that this morning. We wait for difficult emotions to go away. We wait to see family who live far away. We wait for Christmas presents to be open. 
We wait to get better at something we're not good at yet. We wait for answers to questions we wrestle with. We wait for things that are wrong to be made right. That's just like a little tiny list. But that's, life is just full of waiting. And not only is life full of waiting, the Bible is full of waiting. Abraham waited 100 years for the birth of his son Isaac. Jacob waited seven years to marry Rachel. I know he had to work, work seven more years, but he still waited seven years. Joseph waited 13 years to be free after being sold into slavery and put in prison. The Israelites waited 430 years to leave Egypt. The Israelites want, wandered around in the wilderness 40 years to get to the land that God promised them. The people of Judah waited over 70 years in exile from their home in Babylon. Jesus waited 30 years to start his public ministry. And Jesus waited 40 days through fasting and being tested in the wilderness. So look, we tend to resent waiting, don't we? We hate waiting. We cannot stand it, especially in the time we live in. I'm, I'm not here to bash the time that we live in, but let's at, at least acknowledge that we live in a very much a make it happen. I mean, food, fast food, internet. Pull up the results to a random question I have immediately. Let's contact that satellite in, in one second and get what we want. Let's get my Amazon order in three days. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think it kind of proves my point. We don't like waiting. We don't enjoy waiting. Waiting is hard. But even though we resent the ordinary moments of life, here's what I want you to see. That's where God tends to meet us the most. God meets us in ordinary moments of life. God meets us in the waiting periods, right? Tish Harrison Warren, we, have, we should have the slide for this next. Tish Harrison Warren in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, which I highly recommend this book to you. Such a good book to see God in just ordinary moments of life. She points out Alfred Hitchcock, some of you know who that is, some of you don't. I'm looking at you kids. Alfred Hitchcock said, movies are life with the dull bits cut out. Car chases and first kisses, interesting plot lines and good conversations. We don't want to watch our lead character going for a walk, stuck in traffic or brushing his teeth. At least not for long and not without a good soundtrack. We tend to want a Christian life with the dull bits cut out. Yet, God made us to spend our days in rest, work, and play, taking care of our bodies, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. She asked, what if all these boring parts matter to God? What if days passed in ways that feel small and insignificant to us are weighty with meaning and part of the abundant life that God has for us? What if? Look, this is what Advent is. Advent is waiting. This is what we're doing in Advent. Ad, what is Advent? It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas in which we wait, we wait. We're on week two right now, but we wait. What do we wait for? Well, ad, Advent on the church calendar, Advent is where we do two things. We look back. We look back at how God's people waited for the king 
or the anointed one, or the Messiah, and you can use all of those words interchangeably, when God's people waited for the king God promised them, who turned out to be, and was always meant to be, Jesus. So Advent, we look back to the arrival of Jesus. But also on Advent, we look forward to what? To to the return of Jesus. Because Jesus is what? Jesus is king. Jesus, when he came first, he brought his kingdom. But he said, when I come back, I will bring it to fulfillment. I will make my home with you. Your home will be with God because God will be right here with you. You won't need any more sun because God's light will be your light. So we live where? We live in between the first arrival of Jesus, where he announced the kingdom. He said, come in, the kingdom of God is here. In other words, what is the kingdom? God's reign and God's rule. God's reign and God's rule is here, but also he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we live between these two Christmases, right? When he first came and when he's coming again. So we live in a tension. We live in a tension. You think of like a bungee cord and you pull it, there's tension. That's what life is as a believer in Jesus, it's tension. You know, a wise counselor once asked me the question. She said, what would it look like to live in the tension? That's our job. That's our role as followers of Jesus. We're not just sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back. We're joining him in his kingdom and in his work of inviting people into this feast, into this kingdom. But we still live in that tension between these two Christmases. So what would it look like to live in the tension? How, how do we live in between this? Or how do we live in the space between the now and the not yet? How do we become people that wait, but that wait with hope? And how do we become people that see waiting as an opportunity to encounter God and join in on what he's doing? How do we reframe waiting from, oh man, I just gotta get to this part to say, oh wow, this is an opportunity to join in. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it and step in with Jesus and what he's doing right now. How do we wait? Well, in our text today, Mary shows us how. Mary shows us how to wait. Now, Mary was waiting for a lot of things, right? In our passage, Mary was waiting to be married to Joseph. And Mary was waiting with God's people for the promised Messiah and God's intervening help for his people. And lastly, now Mary in this passage was being called to wait through nine months of a pregnancy that was hardly explainable to anyone since, of course, she was a virgin. That's going to be a fun nine months. There's a lot of waiting that Mary's doing. But Mary shows us how to wait with hope, with courage, with peace, with reassurance. So what does Mary show us? Let's get very practical today. That's my goal with every sermon, but let's get very practical. How do we wait? Well, Mary shows us that we wait with God's word. If you're taking notes, that's the first point. We wait with God's word. So what is the first thing Mary needed as she joined in on the unique work God was doing in her and through her? What's the first thing she needed in this passage? Well, Mary needed God's wisdom, God's instruction, God's truth, God's reassurance, God's comfort and encouragement. That's what she needed before anything else. The ability to wait, where does that start? 
It starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. And if our mind is not fixed on God's wisdom, God's instructions, God's truth, God's reassurance, comfort, and encouragement, it will only be able to fixate on what could go wrong. Do you realize that that's what anxiety is? It's a fixation on what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Professor Raj Raghunathan, who's a professor from the University of Texas, he, um, he wrote in Psychology Today, we should have the slide for this, it says, he said, even though people claim to hold themselves in high regard, the thoughts that spontaneously occur to them, their mental chatter, so to speak, is mostly up to 70%. Did you hear that? Up to 70% negative. A phenomenon that could be referred to as negativity dominance. I didn't quote the Bible just now. I didn't quote the church or whatever. I quoted just the world, science. What does science tell us? 70% of our thoughts are negative. And how does the world define our thinking? As negativity dominance. That is our mind. That's the mind that we live with. What does that mean? That means that without a regular diet of God's word to us, we are living at the mercy of a mind known for negativity dominance. What do we need? We desperately need what Mary needed. A redirection of our minds. A redirection of our minds towards what? Towards God. Not the what if this, what if that, what if this, what if that. What if this money was? What if this health was? What if this work was? What if this kids was? What if this school was? But no, we need our minds directed towards God. God's here. He's speaking to me. Jenny Allen, she wrote in her book, Get Out of Your Head. We'll have this on the slide. She said, when we turn our thoughts from our problems to the only one who holds the solution in his hands, we gain wisdom we would not otherwise have. We gain insight we would not otherwise experience. We find one who is willing to help us and able to help us and thus uniquely poised to intervene. We come to see things not as they seem to us, but as they truly are. She says, it has been said, and I think it is true, that the most valuable asset we possess is our attention, which prompts the question, to what are we attending? Are we attending to our fear, or are we attending to the God who promises to be with us? Are we attending to our doubt, or are we attending to the truth that never changes? Are we attending to our need for control, or are we attending to God's plan for us, even if chaos breaks into the present reality? Are we attending to how we compare with others, or are we attending to the gratitude we have for all God has done for us? Are we attending to our worries regarding our health, our bank accounts, our careers, our spouses, our children, our regrets, our past? Or are we attending to the living God? Look, the most important thing we can do each day, the most important thing we can do each day is to fix our minds on who God is and what he is saying to us. That's the most important thing we can attend to each and every day. How do we do this? Well, the primary way that we do this is through Scripture, through the Bible. For me, this is one of the first things I try to do in the day, every day. Every day, you know, I don't have a 100% success rate, 
I'm not saying the goal is perfection, but I'm saying I'm eager when I wake up to get to God's word. I, you know, sometimes I go on a walk and put headphones in and I'll listen to it audibly as I go on a walk. You can do that. You can drive in your car, um, listen to it if you have something on your phone that allows you to do that or if you have CD tracks with it. Or, you know, most people prefer just getting their Bible, just making coffee, sitting in the quiet at home. Maybe you have a reading plan, maybe you have a book, or maybe you just open it up, turn it to wherever you want to. But either way, I try to first thing in the day, find a quiet place in my heart, in my mind, and in the world to read my Bible with as little interruptions as possible. And whenever I don't do that, you know, I, I notice a difference. I notice a difference on the inside of me and on the outside of me. It's like I don't really have a choice. If, if, I, if I don't spend my time saturating my mind in God's word, I, I am going to live that fearful, anxious way. And that doesn't mean if you read the Bible, you're never, you'll never be fearful or anxious. But this is a way of quieting those voices, to hear God's word to you. John Mark Homer, he says, I do not let a day go by where I do not soak my imagination in scripture and let it fill my mind with the truth of God. Even if only for a few minutes, I have to be in these writings daily, not because I should, but because I have come to love them. Like the writer of Psalm 119, I find them sweeter than honey to my mouth. As we immerse our minds in the writings of this ancient library, he says, we begin to think God's thoughts after him and to think like him and in time to think of him more and more throughout our days. Now, one common uh, thing I hear from people about not reading the Bible is that, well, I don't understand it. I don't always understand what I'm reading. And I just want to give you permission to not understand. It's okay. You're not going to understand everything you read. I'm going to be honest. When you have conversations with me, you're not going to understand everything you hear either. That's not just with me. That's with every single person you interact with. It's okay. Did you notice that Mary didn't understand everything that God was telling her either? What did God do? Did he scold her? Did he get onto her? No, he met her where she was. Mary had to wrestle with it. We do too. That's the beauty of reading scripture. We're not always going to understand it. But what did God do? He gave her Gabriel. He gave her someone to help her with it. What do, what do you have? Look around. You have a community of people who you can read God's word with. We're, we're in this together. We're in this together. So let's not refrain from God's word because we don't have it mastered. Because nobody has it mastered. And that's not even the goal. The goal is not to master God's word. The goal is to be met by God in his word. That is the goal. That's what we go to scripture for. We say, God, I truly believe that you want to speak to me today. I want to be met by you in your word today. I believe it is of the highest importance for me to hear from you. I need you. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We say, Lord, I want to hear your voice today, even if I don't understand it. Mary didn't understand it. It's okay, she still desperately needed it. Whatever it is you are waiting for, whatever it is you're waiting for, let God's wisdom, instructions, truth, reassurance, comfort, and encouragement guide you along the way. So first, Mary shows us we wait 
with God's word. But she shows us next that we wait with prayer. Wow, good job, Jed. You got that up there before I could say it. Good job, man. We wait with prayer. So I mentioned that Mary was clearly confused, but what did she do with her confusion? She prayed it. I sounded very Texan just then. She prayed it. (laughs) What is prayer? Prayer is when we take anything within ourselves and offer it up to God. That's a very loose, but I think a very helpful translation of what prayer is. It's taking anything inside you and just giving it to God. Saying, God, God, here it is. It doesn't have to be pretty. In the Bible, it's typically not pretty. It's just taking something inside of you and offering it up to God. And this is essentially what we see in the Psalms, right? You know, when you look at the Psalms, just name an emotion. I promise you, you're going to find it in the Psalms. Every emotion you can think of is in our prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms. I love how John Tyson puts it. He says, pray what you've got. Pray what you've got. Pray what's inside of you. Josh Howerton puts it this way. He says, God wants a relationship with you. So he wants real prayers, not right prayers. Not right, not right prayers. And I'm not saying we don't go to God without reverence. No, of course we go to God with reverence. But look at what Hebrews 5, 7 says. It says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions beautifully? No. With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus. What did he do? He prayed what he had to the Father. And as disciples, we're imitators of Jesus. So we too, we take what's inside of us and we just simply give it to God. In Mary's case, it was confusion. Mary proves to us that whatever questions, thoughts, or emotions we have, we don't have to wait to have them addressed before we go to God. No, we address them by going to God. Now, oh, we're not quite there yet, Jeff. Almost, almost, we're still on waiting, waiting with prayer. Now, um, I think it was just a couple months ago that I, I got home from, um, I was doing physical therapy for my knee. And uh, so my, my physical therapy place was right across the uh, street from my apartment. And I, I got back from physical therapy and uh, Marcella was sitting there. She looked over and she smiled really big. And I thought, somebody's excited to see me today. And uh, she had this music playing. I walked over and Marcella, I walked over with a, with a stick. And I think I, I knew what it meant, but I still said, what does that mean? And she pointed at the lines on the box. It was a pregnancy test, by the way. And there were two lines. Um, and I was like, does that mean we're pregnant? She pointed at the little box, and I was like, wow, oh my gosh, we're pregnant. And we were just so in awe, like we could not believe, wow, we're going to be parents. We're mom. We're dad. And we were calling everybody we knew. We, we FaceTimed my parents. Uh, we FaceTimed Marcella's brother. Uh, we just were FaceTiming just everybody and, and telling everybody, and we were so excited and, uh, you know, we were, we were getting used to the pregnant life. You know, Marcella was definitely getting used to the way her body was feeling now, the, the new periods of 
eating, you know, at four in the morning, <laughs> randomly. Uh, all of the, the weird feelings that you were feeling, Marcella. Um, but I think it was two or three weeks after that, that Marcella told me that, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling weird. I'm not feeling right. Um, and Marcella said, I, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm having a miscarriage. And so, you know, as Marcella's husband, I said, oh, well, let's, let's not go there yet. Like, you know, it could be a lot of different things. You know, it could be just something you ate or you could be, I don't know. I just thought, let's, let's just see what happens. And um, as time went on, it kind of became undeniable. You know, I remember Marcella saying, I just don't feel pregnant anymore. And to me at that point, there was really not much I could say. It was kind of, wow, I, I think we might have lost our baby. That was hard. That was really hard. I, uh, the next day, there was still a question of, um, did it really happen? You know, you don't, you don't know. You just, you just think about it and assume. So I'm going to read you something very, very vulnerable. The reason I'm reading it to you, though, is because I want you to see what this looks like practically in real life. Uh, the next day, I, 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 like to, I like to pray out loud, but I also like to just write my prayers. It, it helps me make my thoughts exact. And um, that day, October 28th, um, I wrote in my journal, I wrote, Oh Lord, my God, I'm very sad to learn that yesterday, as far as we can tell, our child died in a miscarriage yesterday. Lord, please hold me in your arms today, just as you currently hold my beloved baby. Lord, I don't know if they were a boy or a girl. I don't know what their personality is like. I don't know if they're a brown-eyed girl like their mommy or a green-eyed boy like their daddy. I don't know if I would have played catch with them or had tea time with them or both. I just know their mommy and daddy love them. Lord, I know that more than anyone or anything, their heavenly daddy loves them with an everlasting love. I believe I will meet our child one day. They were created by a combination of your love and mine and Marcella's love, after all. Lord, I am hurting and grieving and sad. Lord, hold me close. Wrap me in your arms, Father. I am your child, after all. Wrap your daughter, Marcella, in your embrace, too, Lord. Help us to look to you and hold on to you, Lord. And if they still are alive in her womb, please protect them and save them. But Lord, it doesn't look good. Please hold us in our grief and our pain, Lord. We love you. And, you know, we prayed and prayed, and pretty soon it became undeniable that, you know, we had lost our baby. What did we do? Well, we, we, we cried together. We wept together. We, we prayed together. We took it before the Lord. It still hurt. It still hurt. It didn't change reality. It didn't change what was going on at the time. But what I, I want to tell you what it did do. Praying, praying our grief to God meant that we weren't just waiting for God. We were waiting with God. We were waiting with God. And that is what made all the difference for us. Waiting with the Lord. Taking our grief, our pain, our confusion, our disorientation, and just giving it to the Lord. 
That's what we do in the waiting. We give it to him. We wait with prayer. As we live in a world where things are not yet how they're supposed to be, God meets our questions with what? God meets our questions with his presence and love. Look, when Mary asked, how will this happen? What did God say? God said, I will be with you. When Moses asked, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. When Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? God said, I will be with you. When the disciples worshipped and some of them doubted, Jesus said to them, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And when we ask, how long, O Lord, God focuses less on the length of time and more on the length, the width, the height, and the depth of his love for us. So we wait with God's word. We wait with prayer. And lastly, here you go, Jet. We wait with faith. We wait with faith. Look at verse 38 again. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Look, the passage, this passage does not end with Mary understanding everything. This passage ends with Mary entrusting everything to God. It ends with Mary waiting for what's next in faith. She didn't say, well, let me understand everything first and then I'll go. No, it ended with her saying, oh, okay. But yes, yes, Lord, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Look, faith is not just a part of our relationship with God. It's the only way our relationship with God can exist. And you might say to me, well, that's weird. Why, why is that? Why, why do I need to have faith for a relationship with God to exist? Well, what I want you to see is that faith is not, this is not exclusive to God. No relationship can work without faith. Do you realize that? There's no relationship that works without faith at some level. I could not stand on this stage if I didn't have faith that it would not collapse under me. I could not have stood at the altar at me and Marcella's wedding if I did not have faith that Marcella wanted to make a covenant to spend the rest of our lives together. I could not ride in the car with any of you unless I had faith that you knew how to drive a car. <laughs> now, let's back up. What is faith? What, what is it? Let's define it. It's not merely believing something is real. If I say I have, I have faith in you, that doesn't, mean believe, that doesn't mean I'm saying I believe you're real. What kind of a compliment would that be? If I say I have faith in you, that means I have confidence in you. If I say I have faith in myself, that means I have confidence in myself. The Bible describes faith as confidence. Hebrews 11 chapter 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Romans chapter four, verse three, get this. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Whoa. Dallas Willard says this about that verse. He says, that is to say, God based his relationship to Abraham upon Abraham's confidence in God, not on Abraham having always done or continuing to do the right thing. So with us. 
Do you think that that's what your relationship with God depends on? You always doing the next right thing? That's not what God considers as pleasing to him. No, what pleases God is faith in him. That's what he bases a relationship with us on. Faith, trust, confidence. You know, we see this in the Bible. God is calling us to more than just merely believing facts about him. Now, facts about him are good. Doctrine is good. I'm not saying throw that out. That's good. But he's calling us to more than that. He's calling us to more than just merely believing facts about him. He's calling us to put our confidence in him, even when we don't understand what is happening around us. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, we read, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him, they took Jesus along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now a furious squall, a storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Wow. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Okay, now let me ask you a couple questions. The disciples, did they have faith in Jesus that he could save them? I think they did. They ran to Jesus. They asked him, from what I can tell, they seemed to want him to do something about it. Don't you care if we drown? Get up here and fix this. Now, when he actually did it, there was that sense of, whoa, as we all experience when God actually does what we ask for, especially in that specific moment. But the disciples had faith in Jesus, right? What were they missing? What were they lacking? They had faith in Jesus, but they didn't have the faith of Jesus. Did you hear what they said? Don't you care if we drown? Jesus knew. My father cares. He had that attitude, that sense of faith and confidence in God. He cares. He loves me. He's with me. You know, Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, you know, there's faith in Jesus, but the faith of Jesus is that even if the boat does sink, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Wow, we have that faith of Jesus that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. We walk around every day, if this doesn't work out, it's the end. If this doesn't work out, it's the end. And I know that Jesus can do something about it. I know that, you know, God is all powerful, but if this happens, you know, Jesus said, where's your faith? Where's your confidence in God's character? Where's your confidence that God loves you? Yes, it's great that you believe that he can do everything, but do you believe that he cares for you, that he loves you? That is a faith that he is calling us to. 
Now, maybe you are in the boat this morning and the storms of life are raging around you. Maybe your health is unpredictable and you feel helpless. Maybe you lost someone you love deeply. Maybe you have no idea how your finances are going to work out. Maybe you feel intense pressure to please everyone, including your parents at school. Maybe you feel totally alone. Maybe you dread going to work every day. Maybe you feel like your marriage has crumbled before your very eyes. Maybe you feel like you don't even want to be alive anymore. And I've met plenty of people who have told me that either is or has been a chapter of their lives. So if you're there, you're not alone. In the middle of the storms of life, and as we wait for God to fix everything that's wrong and heal all of our wounds at the next Christmas, Christmas tells us something we desperately need to hear. God is in the boat with you. He sees you and he loves you. That is the message of Christmas. That's what it's all about. We need to be reminded of this, right? We need to be reminded that this, not just every Christmas, but every single day. Why? Because we forget this every single day. It's crazy, but we, we do. We forget it every day. One, one thing that, that helps me that I want to share with you, you can try practicing this this week, and if it doesn't help, then... Don't do it. But I just want to share it with you just in hopes that it might help you as it's helped me. Every morning, um, as I wake up, I'm just groggy, trying to open my eyes, trying to find my way to the light, turn on, and head, head to the bathroom, head to the shower. You know, just barely just trying to like wake. And you know, when you wake up, your mind is just being flooded with all kinds of thoughts. But something that I've started doing that's helped me so much is First, and when I wake up, I get out of bed, I just start reciting the Lord's Prayer. I mean, not the Lord's Prayer, sorry. Um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I do say the Lord's Prayer too, but let's focus on Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23, it's okay if you don't have it memorized. You know, over time, I've been able to memorize it, but you can, you know, write it down on paper or just pull out your Bible. But um, I just like to wake up and just slowly make my way through it. I just wake up and I say, the Lord is my shepherd. Wow. I like nothing. I have all that I need. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize that. I have all that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. Oh, wow. Yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Whoa, okay. So God's guiding me along the right paths today. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Oh yeah, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, ever. Wow, 
when I do that, when I say that first thing in the morning, you know, this morning I did that in the shower. Wow, that is amazing. What an amazing reminder. Just try that. That might be helpful to you. But that's what I like to do in the morning. It's not just saying it. It's believing it. It's being confident that the Lord really is your shepherd. He really does care for you. When you become confident in what that psalm is saying, you can sleep in the boat, even during a storm like Jesus. You can approach Goliath like David. You can go out into the unknown like Abraham. You can break out in song like Deborah. You can worship with all of your heart like Paul and Silas in prison. You can give all you have like the poor widow at the temple treasury. You can face death like Stephen. You can stand before evil and hatred like Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. And you can say yes to God even when you don't understand like Mary. Uh, over the last year, uh, a little over a year ago, I heard this song. Um, it's called Hope on the Horizon. It was written by Sam Bailey uh, for his church in New York um, during COVID. And uh, man, I, this song has been so helpful to me. I just want to share some of the words to it. Um, but I just through everything in life that I've been through just over this year, this song has been so helpful for me. And it really says, it puts into words what I'm trying to say to you this morning in the sermon. And it really puts into words what Christmas is about. And he says, when your heart is ready to break, you've got empty hands and worn out faith. When it feels like prayers have gone to waste and the promise seems so far away, lift up your eyes. There's hope on the horizon. Oh, look to Christ. His kingdom is arriving. Give him glory in the waiting and hold on to hope. As we celebrate Advent, we celebrate the hope we are holding on to. And as we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate that our hope is holding on to us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you promise in your word those who wait on you will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Your word says, wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. Lord, you meet us in the way. Lord, we thank you so much that we don't just wait for you, but we wait with you. Lord, we thank you for an example like Mary, of someone who must have been very intimidated and very scared, but had the faith and the confidence that you're good, that you're with us, that you love us, that we're not on our own. Lord, what a great promise to hold on to today and every day. 
Lord, so as we wait for whatever it is we're waiting for, whether it's big in our eyes or small in our eyes, we know, Lord, that we can wait with your word. We can wait with prayer. We can wait with faith. Lord, we love you. We pray, Lord, that this would not just be a sermon we hear, but that it would go from our head to our hearts to our hands, and we would live it out day after day after day in the ordinary moments of life. Lord, we give all we are and all we have to you. We know we are safe in your nail-starred hands. We love you, Lord. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we are...